live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back for an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast. Better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He is the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Guys, it's the greatest day of the year. It's May the 4th. May the 4th be with you. May the 4th be with you, sir, as uh-huh. well. And all our ODPH society, because we are going to be talking some Star Wars, because the show dropped on Disney+, Plus. Uh-huh. that we have to kind of deep dive into, but we have a lot more to dig into in the land of movies, TV, comics, and more. So definitely join in the conversation on social media. You can find all our links and so much more at odphpodcast.com. Join in, and remember to use the hashtag ODPHpod, because we have a lot to discuss, because normally we kick off talking Star Wars, because it's May the 4th, but there was something that eclipsed the thunder. So, yeah, yeah, it came out of left field, too. Yes, nobody saw this coming, but we have to break down the MCU big news that dropped Monday. Yeah. Pad, take it away. Yeah, so this came down, I want to say it was about 9.15 or 9.30 on Monday, and I started seeing dates, and I started seeing movies, and my initial reaction was, oh, son of a bitch, are things getting delayed again? Are things yeah. getting moved back again? But no, and I didn't even know the context of this, and I got a funny story about this whole thing, too. Uh, Marvel came out and they posted a very fantastic video kind of celebrating the, you know, uh, everything MCU and where they've come and where they're going, but also at the same time, looking back on, on the way, the, how crappy the last year was and just how people have come together and kind of bonded together and Hey, we're getting through this, you know, and there's brighter things to look forward to. And that Stanley narration. Yes. Oh, oh. hit all the feels on yes. there. So as we saw where we've been, and it was basically a love letter to the fans mm-hmm. and saying thank you for sticking with us, Yeah, but we are not done yet. The next phase is coming. Yep. And right then and there, they decided to unleash the entire movie slate. Now, mm-hmm. note how I said this. Movie slate. Yes. For the next two years? Uh, yes. So, Pad, let us break it down. So, yeah, uh, and this was included with some clips and some brief shots of stuff with each movie. Uh, the first one, of course, we know is coming. Uh, that is Black Widow, which is uh, slated to come out on July 9th of this year. Now, this one, I know a lot of thunder has been taken away because of all the yeah, delays. Yeah, Like, I'm still excited for oh, it. Oh, I am too. But I know that there's a lot of people that are just kind of in this phase of, let's just get it out, let's get it over with. Yeah. Because the luster is gone because yeah. it's, been del- it's so delayed. Yeah. It's a weird vibe to take from it, and I understand everybody's take. I'm not, con- I'm not, you know, being mad about it. I'm not mm-hmm. having any kind of words about it. Mm-hmm. Is just with that movie being so delayed, it kind of had that New Mutants vibe to it, and not I as, hate it. Not as bad, but yeah, yeah. It yeah. just it had that going the, on for yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, the, you look at the fact kind of working against it was uh, Marvel was beat out the gate with DC putting out Wonder Woman, so they then not long after go, oh yeah, we're gonna do a Black Widow movie. Hey, awesome. You know, and then things happened. It got delayed. They didn't want to put it out. And now in that time, they've now put out another Wonder Woman movie. So, and plus, like you said, with the delays and everything going on, I feel in the whole movie theater situation with with wherever you live, notwithstanding, I feel like the numbers might get hit a little bit just because at this point people are kind of like, yeah, I'm not really hyped up to see it. 
Well, I think it's going to kind of go back and forth by the time we finally get to the movie theaters. But I think there's a lot of luster taken off this movie, as we previously discussed. It's been delayed because of movie theaters being shut down and Mm -hmm. Disney and Marvel waiting to see when would be the right time to make a decision if they're going to go the route that Warner Brothers and DC did yeah. by posting their all their entire slate on HBO Max. Right, and and Disney obviously has the Disney Premier Access uh, method where it's like 20 bucks, 30 bucks, whatever it is, and you get the movie to watch as many times as you want, you know, for I forget how long a period of time. I it think is. it's your duration that you are a Disney Plus yeah, subscriber. you know, so you get it for the entire duration, which they could have made money hand over fist with that. That would real easily. Oh, but and and then there were people going, oh, maybe they'll just straight up put it out. I don't think that was ever going to happen because let's face it, the MCU and the Marvel films are their kind of cash cow. They make them a lot of money and they're not about to give up any of that. No, they weren't going to give up any of that. And Disney does not feel the need to compete with anybody. No, the MCU brand can basically put out anything. And majority of the time, it's going to be a big hit. And everybody's going to go watch it wherever it is. And I think that they took into account the effect Mulan did when it went to Premiere Access right, and right, how that did not right. go over well. Yeah. And I think for them to put Black Widow out at that token, I think they would have experienced maybe some of the same vibe. Because yeah. when your competitors are being very smart mm-hmm. and they're putting out their biggest blockbusters mm-hmm. on a streaming service, and they're giving you the option, hey, if you can go to the theater, go to the theater and watch it. If you can't, no worries. We've got it now on HBO Max. Well, I think that, that that's also the, the thing, though, is the benefit of time in that when uh, Warner Brothers started doing that, theaters were reopened. Mm-hmm. Whereas when Disney had released Mulan, I don't think very many theaters Very were, few theaters Very were few open. theaters were open here stateside, never mind the world. And then when it came time for Black Widow, it was the same story. So whereas with Warner Brothers last year was just pushing everything back and delaying and delaying and delaying. Like, I don't think a major outside of like the first two months of the year where you had uh, Birds of Prey come out for Warner Brothers. I think after that, they didn't have a damn thing come out the entire rest of the year until you had uh, Wonder Woman 84 come out on Christmas Day. You know, just because of pandemic and everything being shut down. But that was kind of time and place. And hey, it worked out for them. Whereas with with Disney, it didn't quite work out that way because Disney caught a lot of flack for the $30 price point, which... Oh, yeah, rightfully so, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, for renting a movie, that is a lot of money. But when you consider what it is for a family of four to go to the theaters, it's not really that outrageous. But for just straight-up renting a movie, I get it. It is a lot. It's a lot to ask, and especially, I think, in Mulan's case, you've already had an animated film. Yeah. So you're just doing a live action and hoping to cash in on that. Yeah. It was what it was... In hindsight, obviously, you know, we're not big fans of that. But for Disney to wait it out and finally get their films into theaters, that's something they've always wanted to do. Yeah. So we can't fault them for that. We have other shows like WandaVision and fucking Winter Soldier. So it proves that they wanted to go the Disney Plus route. They could have. But with Black Widow, I think they wanted to kick off the phase back in theaters and almost... I know that they don't have the divide between TV and film Mm -hmm. because it's all now under Feige and it's all under one roof. So this was a situation that I think that they want to say, welcome back to the theaters. We're hoping by this time theaters are going to be more open mm-hmm. around the world. Yeah. And let's get back 
slowly but surely to normal. I wouldn't be surprised if there's like a welcome back title card type thing uh, before you get the Marvel logo. Oh, I'm not down or, that or at maybe, all. Or maybe even after you get the whole Marvel fanfare. Right. So as we say that we're going to have to wait and see in July when this all comes out. Yep. I'm excited to see it. I know yeah. people are going to, some people are going to go to a matinee showing and you know, hey, that's great. That's fine. As, as you go to the theaters and support it because we're going to see what the big hype was about. Mm-hmm. Scarlett Johansson reprising her role as Natasha Romanoff. We're getting the origin story. And we've seen a lot of footage thus far, so unless they have something they've been really hiding from us. Which, if they are, kudos, because it hasn't gotten out yet. Right, I think the only thing that was hiding was uh, Julia Louise Dreyfus's character. Right, yeah, which it changed, yeah. Yeah, which has changed. But this film, we already know what we're expecting. Taskmaster is still going to be the main protagonist, mm-hmm. and we're going to see Yelena and Red Guardian, and yep. basically we're going to get the original story, and maybe, just maybe, my unofficial ODPH guest, mm-hmm. we're going to see how Scarlett Johansson is coming back to the MCU. Okay. Next uh, up. Uh, you have Shang-Chi and the Legend of, Ten, of the Ten Rings, which is coming out September 3rd of this year. Trailer came out, obviously, you know, yep. we're excited about seeing that, so I nothing has really changed there. Just a quick little snippet that that's yeah. still on track. Yeah. Uh, and then next up was Eternals, which is coming out uh, November 5th, 2021. And we actually saw some footage of this damn thing. Pad, what did you think of this? I'm intrigued. I mean, I'm not that familiar with the Eternals in that I haven't really read a whole bunch of their comics. But uh, it wasn't much to go off of. But, like, it was nice to finally see something. It was nice to know it existed. But I did not change my opinion one bit. I am not super excited about this film. I'm not. I'm sorry. The characters have never done anything for me in the comics. I know it's Jack Kirby. Mm -hmm. And obviously, if you're a fan of New Gods, it's almost like Coke Pepsi. New Gods or Eternals. I'm a New Gods fan. I'm sorry. Dark side over everybody. So that being said, this it was nice to see some footage. I still don't know what to make of it all just yet. Obviously, we've got a lot of time between now and then to kind of get an idea of what to expect. But... It was at least cool to see something happen with it. I'm intrigued for this movie just from the fact that for a first film, presumably in a series of films, you know, like Iron Man 1, 2, 3, Thor 1, 2, 3, you know, this is a very stacked cast. Oh, yeah, they loaded this thing. That this is not the way Marvel typically goes for a first film. You have some name. you'll usually have some names and some folks, you know, but not really the whole, you know, the Brad Pitts or the Tom Cruises or, or, you know, the, the, uh, Jennifer Aniston's, you know, the big triple a tent pole names, you know, but they'll, they'll eventually get there. I mean, you look at Chris Evans was a, was a star and very much in his own right, fairly well known to now Christ. He's probably one of the biggest actors in all of Hollywood. But you just look at the cast of this film with with uh, folks like Angelina Jolie, Salma Hayek, Kit Harington, uh, Kumal Nanjiani, you know Gemma Chan. This is a very stacked cast, and this is not the way Marvel typically goes. It isn't, but this is what I always say is the biggest X factor about this franchise. Eternals is not exactly a household name at the comic shop. Mm-hmm. I also I refer to it a lot as like in Human's Light because. It's one of those franchises that if you're really a big fan of them, you're a fan. Mm -hmm. But I think that they just have not generated that much buzz. Right. Other than we know it's a Marvel property. We know that they have stacked this cast from top to bottom. Oh, yeah. They're going to tie in a lot of different elements. And this is going to be basically 
the biggest Easter egg for the next two phases. Right, and I think the other thing they're going to have working in their favor is there's going to be a lot of focus on this film since the director is Chloe Zhao, who just won uh, two Oscars this year. Uh, she won the uh, Oscar for Best Directing for Nomadland, and then uh, Nomadland also won uh, mo- Motion Picture of the Year at the Oscars this year. So going to help him in that regard. It's going to definitely help him to get a lot of buzz behind it, and that's what they need to do for this. I mean, the, yeah. fact, the fact that we still haven't seen a trailer out yet. Which is surprising. Because it comes out, it comes out in November, so it's you know uh, six months away. Like I'm not gonna lie, I'm getting like Fantastic Four vibes. I, I'm not gonna lie, I thought the film hadn't been done in film yet because we hadn't seen anything. So like the fact that we saw footage and it wasn't pictures or still shots, I went, okay, so a cut of this thing exists. Yeah, good okay. to know. It's good to know, and we really didn't see a lot of footage to really talk about. No. There's one group shot of them standing in the forest. Yeah. And there's another shot of them standing on a beach, and then there's Angelina Jolie's character with a sword. I yeah. don't know if it's the ebony blade. I would assume it is, tying in with Kit Harrington being Dane Whitman, the Black Knight. So I don't know. There's a lot that we didn't get answered, but mm-hmm. the only thing we can say is there's footage out, so the movie yeah. is it exists in some capacity. It exists, and we'll see November 5th when it drops in theaters. Next up on the slate, though, is a Spider-Man No Way Home, which is coming out December 17th of 2021. Obviously, you know there's a ton of hype behind this one. Uh-huh. A lot of rumors going on. I haven't seen this much rumors and speculation about a movie since Force Awakens. Well, that, I'm, I'm not going to lie. There's a lot of speculation with this. Well, the one thing about this movie is we know that it's been leaked out about this could be a Spider-Verse in its own right. It is to a certain degree because Alfred Molina decided to go fuck your NDA. Yeah, which, I mean... Bold it, strategy, Cotton. It is very, very bold. And then we had a former Spider-Man get on social media and uh, try downplaying everything bad. Yeah, so Andrew Garfield did an interview with uh, Jeremy Horowitz, uh, I believe, on for the podcast Happy, Sad, Confused. And they're going through, and there's a clip, if you look on Twitter and search Andrew Garfield's name and look up videos, you'll find it very quickly, mm-hmm. where uh, Horowitz brought up uh, the Spider-Man. Or excuse me, it's Josh Horowitz, not Jeremy. Uh, brought up the movie. And before Horowitz could even get the question finished, he Andrew jumps in and goes, quote, it's so crazy. Dude, it's fucking hilarious. I do have this Twitter account, and I see how often Spider-Man is trending, and it's people freaking out about a thing. I wish I could be able to speak to everyone and just say, I recommend that you chill. Uh, you're convincing everyone that, uh, so yeah, I mean, close quote. So uh, t- as a person once said, me thinks he doth protest too much. He was smiling through that whole thing. And, uh-huh. I, and, and, the, and the fact that he cut off the interviewer said, oh, no, 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 I'm not in it. I, I wish I could get out there and tell people I'm not in it. Dude, it's May. The rumors that you were in this film have been around since like the early part of the year. Like if it, okay, if you would have come out then and said, no, I'm not in the movie, people would have thought you're lying, but it would have been a little bit more believable if you weren't in the movie to say it then, than to wait however many months it's been since those rumors first started, let them gestate, let them grow only to turn around a few months later and go, oh yeah, by the way, I'm not in that movie. Yeah, I think that he's just super excited that fans are welcoming him back mm-hmm. to the franchise. Because I'll admit, he's not my favorite Spider-Man by he, any long no, shot. No, he's okay. He's all right, but he's on the bottom of my list for Spider-Man. Yeah. So to see him excited to come back, though, I mean, obviously, I think he tipped his hand a little bit. Not mad at him about no. There's been so many rumors about who's involved in this movie because yeah. of, 
obviously J.K. Simmons appearing at the end of yep. Far From Home, yep. which is like, wait, we're crossing universes. Holy shit, yeah. And everybody lost their mind, and now it's been obviously leaked out that Benedict Cumberbatch is going to be in uh, Spider-Man yep. No Way Home. So we know Doctor Strange is going to be in there, so we're thinking multiverse. And like I said, my early prediction is I'm sticking to my guns about this one. You're going to see uh, Tom Holland's character going through the different multiverses of Spider-Man. He's going to appear in different moments from the previous films. Mm-hmm. And that makes perfect sense. This isn't going to be Endgame. It's going to no. be something totally different. There might be Endgame parts for certain actors. Like, obviously, if Alfred Molina is going to have a fairly big part in this, you got to figure they'll dwell with some of his stuff a little bit. But, yeah, no, there'll, pro- there'll probably be some parts you just kind of duck in and you see. Yeah, so we'll have to wait and see. But, obviously, that one's a big one to close the year out with. Yeah, and then uh, kicking off the following year in 2022, you have Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness coming out March 25th. Yeah, so we finally get the sequel to WandaVision. Yeah, which, fun uh, little story, Kevin Feige did an interview uh, either yesterday or the day before where, as it was all much rumored, Doctor Strange was supposed to be in WandaVision. Hmm. But he got uh, taken out. Feige gave an explanation for it, which is all fine and dandy. Uh, and then he also went on to say that the ads on the TV were supposed to be messages being sent to Wanda from uh, one Stephen Strange. Interesting. Yeah. That's very interesting. Well, how they're going to tie in Doctor Strange in the sequel here is going to be one of the most highly anticipated films the next year. Mm -hmm. I know we're already kind of jumping the gun, but you saw the reaction to WandaVision. Yeah. And if Mephisto is not in this film, it's going to be a bomb. No, I'm kidding. This is one film that is really going to have a lot of eyes on it, especially with the tie-in to No Way Home. Yeah. So there is going to be a lot of pressure on this film to deliver. I think it's going to. Mm -hmm. I'm interested to see how Nightmare plays out in this because that was the villain that was leaked to be a part of this. Yep. Sam Raimi's directing. Yeah, Sam Raimi is returning to Marvel. So I'm, dude, I'm here for this. I'm I'm excited for it. I'm also enjoying the memes I'm seeing online where it's like uh, Doctor Strange when Thor and Loki show up in New York freaks the fuck out. Yeah. Doctor Strange when Wanda kidnaps an entire town and holds him hostage, he's asleep. Yeah, it's it's so funny to see about uh-huh. this. But that's one of the mystique about Doctor Strange. He's just, he's strange. Mm-hmm. Next up. Uh, coming out May 6th of 2022, you have Thor Love and Thunder. This one should be quite interesting. It's we gonna know it's going to be odd in that it's kind of hard to pinpoint what they're doing because obviously we know uh, Natalie Portman coming back to reprise her role as uh, Jane, going to be uh, Lady Thor. You know, we've got uh, Russell Crowe showing up playing Zeus. You would presume that allegedly, go- yeah, I'm still not sold. I think he gave everybody a red herring. Um, you presumably would have the Guardians show up given the end of Endgame. Yeah, there's so many X factors going on, and remember Christian Bale is playing Gore the God Butcher. Yep. So there is so much going on with this film that Taika Waititi is keeping everything very close lipped, and that's what it should be. Yeah, oh yeah. And we do know, obviously, Jason Aaron's story involving Jane Foster becoming Lady Thor is a, one of the most classic Thor stories of recent memory. Yes. So how they're going to tie this in to the MCU is going to be interesting. I don't know exactly how Chris Hemsworth is going to be a part of this because you almost want to think this has to be connected to Guardians of the Galaxy 3. It, it, probably in some aspects, yeah. Yeah, you have to think that it has to be connected in some way. I'm not saying they are part one and part two of the same story because I definitely don't think that's the case. Mm-hmm. But they're going to have to kind of explain why you have multiple Thors in. I know that I have full faith in the staff behind this. Yeah. And to see where we go from here, I mean, four Thor films. Yeah. You believe it in the day and age? No. I mean, Ant-Man getting a trilogy is still something that tops blowing my mind. But Thor and Chris Hemsworth is still invested in the role, and he said he's still willing to do more as the time goes on. So, so. I think Thor likes the uh, – uh, 
Hemsworth likes the checks. I don't blame him. No. Get your money right, my friend. But we'll have to wait and see when that movie decides yeah. to drop. Yeah. Uh, next up, we have a date and a title reveal for the upcoming Black Panther sequel. Uh, it's coming out July 8th of 2022, and it is titled Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Super excited to see this. Yes. Obviously, they're going to be picking up the legacy from the late Chadwick Boseman, mm-hmm. and this is going to be Shuri and the rest of Wakanda. Yep. We don't have any details about uh, who they're going to be, uh, the protagonist in this. Nope. But, Pad, do you know about some? Yeah, no, uh, don't really know about a protagonist or anything, but it sounds like uh, the folks in the powers that be might have figured out what they're going to do regarding the unfortunate Chadwick Boseman situation. Uh, I've, I've read some interviews and read some stuff that it sounds like they've, and, of course, nobody has said what it is, mm-hmm. but it sounds like they've decided how they're going to handle the situation in the film, you know, in, at least in regards to, hey, he's alive in Avengers, the character's alive in Avengers Endgame, and all of a sudden he's not in this film. You know, it sounds like they figured out how they're going to handle the situation and that uh, it's very respectful. And I have no doubt about that, too. I think that everybody involved wants to pay complete homage to Chadwick Boseman and his portrayal as King T'Challa. So whatever is going to be the next phase in this is going to be something very fitting. Yeah. And we'll definitely have to wait to see when it comes out. Yeah, because it's just one last thing. It's, It's definitely a very delicate thing to handle. And not just from the fact that, like, it's an unprecedented situation for Marvel, but you think about it for us, he's a great actor Mm -hmm. and and he was Jackie Robinson in 42. He was T'Challa and these and a whole slew of other films, but to an entire generation of kids, he's not Chadwick Boseman. Mm -hmm. He is black Panther. He is T'Challa. So you got to handle it for the fans, for the folks who grew up reading the black Panther comics and who the comics mean and the character mean a lot to them, but you have to handle it very carefully for the kids who let's face it look up to him as a hero well said pad fully agree on that uh and then next up after that you have and this i got a funny story with this one you have the marvels which is debuting on november 11th 2022 so my funny story with this one is when this was all getting announced i saw a thing on twitter about it no logo no title card no casting announcement with this and i'm like the hell is this? Is this some yeah. is this some sort of team I never heard of? Like maybe I'll have to have Ken explain to me who it is. Ten minutes later, uh, the Marvels is the, the sequel to Captain America or Captain Marvel one, and we'll, I'm like, oh, all right, that makes sense. Yeah, it makes complete sense. Obviously, I think we're gonna have uh, Monica Rambeau make an appearance. Tiana Paris is yep, gonna be. Yep, she's gonna be in it. Uh, you're gonna have obviously uh, Carol Danvers reappear, and then you're gonna have Ms. Marvel in it because if you take a look at the title card, <laughs> well, her logo's there. Yes, so this is going to be very exciting to see. We don't have any details of script yet, so we'll have to kind of wait and see how this all plays out. But I'm super excited to see where they go from this. Yeah, I got to imagine this is going to be answering what happens in Secret Invasion. Could be, and it's also got to settle some stuff between uh, Tayona Paris's character and Carol Danvers because yo, that was awkward. Exactly, and I'm excited to see when uh, Paris and Larson get on screen together and how that all plays out too. And then you got to factor in Miss Marvel too, which you know, spoiler alert: how it handles and plays out on screen awkwardly. Yes. But that's what makes for the best drama. Yes. And to see how this is going to unfold, too. Obviously, Secret Invasion, like I touched upon, mm-hmm. is going to have a lot to deal with this. And then where we go from here is anybody's guess. Yeah. But for, for films, uh, we know after that, coming in February 17th of 2023, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania. Like I said, I am still blown away that I live in a day and an age where Ant-Man gets a trilogy. Mm-hmm. This still messes me up. Like I believe it. I Growing up reading Avengers comics... 
It's like, it's like if DC decided to do a booster gold trilogy of films, I'd be like, wait, what? It depends who they get, though. Uh, true. I, I could see that happening. True. No, but for Ant-Man, who has always been Ant-Man, Hank, mm-hmm. Hank Pym. He's there. And Scott, cool. Yeah, and Scott Lang, who's obviously carved his own niche into the MCU Marvel comic universe. It, this is just blows me away that it comes out. But these films are fun. And I would say if there's anything that's a comedy in mm-hmm. the MCU, it's always these films. Now, obviously, with Quantumania, we do know that this should be the first appearance of Kang the Conqueror. Yep. Quantum Realm is going to be involved because, well, Quantum Mania. Yes. And to see how this trilogy closes, I mean, I don't know if they're planning on doing Ant-Man 4. They'll say they weren't planning on doing Thor 4, but, well, here we are. Yeah, exactly. So if it takes off and does really well, I mean, obviously, with Paul Rudd involved, you know there's a 50-50 shot of that happening. And to see how this is going to be involved in the next phase, whatever it's going to be, if Kang is going to be the next big bad of the MCU, mm-hmm. or is he going to be in that Ultron mode where he's the stepping stone to get to somebody else? I hope he's kind of an in-between. Though, like He's not as kind of useless as Ultron was. At least in terms of if you look at Ultron in the comics and then you look at Ultron in the movies, night and day. Oh, it's night and day difference. Night and day. I hope for the films, I hope it's kind of like an in-between of like, in between Thanos, not quite as big as Thanos, but not quite as small as Ultron was. No, I have think... him hang around and have him cause some havoc for a couple films. Make him a recurring foil, you know, a recurring bad guy, but like not necessarily Thanos level yet. No, definitely not. But Kang is definitely a history with the Avengers and Fantastic Four, too. I always associate him with the Avengers. Mm-hmm. And like I say, my early prediction is they're going to do Avengers forever as the next Avengers film. And he's heavily tied to that. Along with WandaVision and some other things, too. Kang has definitely made his way through the MCU. Mm-hmm. So to see him be the next big bad as in the stepping stone to get to Doctor Doom, fully see that happening. And this is where it starts. Yeah. Uh, after that, you have Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 coming out May 5th of 2023. So this is James Gunn's swan song to the franchise. Mm-hmm. I imagine this is going to be it for... Star-Lord and Company. I believe I read, and I could be wrong on this. I'll have to look it up. I believe I read that a first draft is done. I think so, too. I think I read someplace that a first draft has been submitted. So there's a rough outline. He has an idea where he wants to end this franchise. And obviously, the places he's taken this team to where it's now a household name. Mm -hmm. It just goes to show that if you get the right director with the right cast, you can make movie magic anytime. Yeah. And for the Guardians of the Galaxy, which unless you read them in the 90s, or the Abnett and Landing Run, which I do recommend, was that when their reboot came in and it flew very much under the radar, but this is the team you see for the most part, it is just astonishing to see that this franchise has taken off to the level it has. Mm-hmm. We can only assume Chris Hemsworth is going to be playing Thor in this movie in some kind of variation. Dep- depends on what happens with Thor 4, but yeah, you could assume. You can assume. I think that it's easy to say Beta Ray Bill is going to make an appearance. That'd be awesome. I think that this is where we'll see him. Mm-hmm. Maybe in Love and Thunder 2. I wouldn't doubt seeing him having a cameo in there at some point. Maybe maybe make like a cameo and then full-blown in this one. Yeah, and then to see who the villain is going to be. I know our guy Dre, shout out to Dre, uh, was sharing about an article about the High Evolutionary, hmm. who I originally thought was going to be in WandaVision. I don't see him being in this film, though. Mm-hmm. I just don't. I mean, I could because he's a very weird character and it kind of fits under James Gunn's universe. But I think they'll kind of keep it to the cosmic level. Would I love to see Annihilus be in this? And if you know him in the negative zone, I know we're talking Fantastic Four, but that would be something as well. I don't know if uh, James Gunn would go that route per se, right. but that's one way to really close out that franchise. Right. It's going to be interesting to see, but this is one that fans have definitely got circled. And James Gunn, 
first director in the DC and Marvel, mm-hmm. uh, you know, one in one com- yeah. uh, combination there. Yeah. Suicide Squad coming this year, Guardians coming after him. So kudos to him about that. So waiting yeah. to see how this finally wraps up. Yeah, and then lastly, didn't give us the title card, but well, you really didn't have to. They showed a blue number four. Uh, of course, referring to Fantastic Four, which is uh, to be announced because, hey, we know it's coming, but we just don't know too much about it. <laughs> it genuinely feels like this, like, they got the hot new toy, the cool new toy that everyone wants. And it's like, hey, just so you don't forget, we have this coming. Well, I think that they want to remind fans that, yes, we do know we have Fantastic Four coming. No, we're not going to give you any news just yet. Nor should they. It's not. It doesn't make a lot of sense to do that right now. No. Because, one, I fully think that they're going to unveil the casting either at digital San Diego Mm Comic-Con or, can you imagine how the Javits would blow off the roof if they did it at New York Comic-Con? That'd be big. I'm just saying they want that live crowd pop to happen. And I don't doubt them pulling it off. And I think that that's where it would make a lot of sense to do because you want to get that fan reaction. You don't want to sit there and just kind of have it be a quick tweet mm-hmm. because if you can hear that live crowd, and I mean, just take a look at when they've gone to hall H in San Diego and yeah. they've unveiled news. It's always been huge and rightfully so. So for any fantastic four news, I know we're all kind of speculating. and I know there everybody's obviously wants John Krasinski in there and Emily Blunt. And we, we've kind of heard conflicting rumors going around. Mm-hmm. Are they going to sign? Are they not contracts? Blah, blah, blah. Until there's an official word, we can only just fan speculate. But Marvel has that as a priority. They wouldn't have just thrown that in there for nothing. So we have to wait and see about this. We did not get any more news about any Disney Plus shows or what's happening after that. That's what's locked in right now. So, Pad, with all that being said, man, what's your feelings for the MCU? Uh, I'm very excited. You know, we obviously knew there was a lot of good stuff coming down the pike. It was cool to get some announcements for titles for uh, Captain Marvel 2 and Black Panther 2. Uh, but no, I'm super excited for it. I just can't wait to get back in theaters and he, you know, it's nice. It's been nice to hear the Marvel fanfare when I turn on my TV, you know, for WandaVision and then, uh, for Falcon Winter Soldier, but I need to hear it in that like crisp, amazing, uh, theater sound. Yeah. I definitely am excited to see about what's going on with that. And I fully agree. There's something about going to the movies in general. I mean, that Stanley quote to kick off the show mm-hmm. or to kick off the video was amazing. And it just kind of sums up that, yeah, we all have grown with the MCU, you know, since its inception that this is something that whether you're a huge fan or just a casual fan, it's always been something to go to a movie theater, see those characters that you read at the comic shop each week come to life and how it's become the standard that other franchises are trying to copy. I mean, let's face it, DC tried forcing it after the fact, right? but they tried doing it. Valiant, we're still kind of waiting to see what happens. Obviously, we know Bloodshot has picked up a sequel, and I know they have a couple of awesome projects coming out. We'll have to see if they try doing that shared universe. But Marvel has set that blueprint. And that's what makes this event so big because we were left on such an emotional moment from Endgame. Mm-hmm. I mean, Far From Home was there, but yeah. let's face it. Endgame, and you can see why they keep sharing the theater moments when Cap picks up Mjolnir, when you have yeah. everybody coming through the portals. Yeah, All those emotions hit because they've established that build that finally we get that payoff. So now with the next phase coming, everybody has that excitement again. And as we start slowly but surely getting back to movie theaters, we're recapturing that magic. That's what makes us all exciting. I'm still sold on Shang-Chi for my movie of the year for right now. Okay. For the rest of the year. Spider-Man Far From Home is, or I'm sorry, No Way Home is going to be what it's going to be. I'm excited about that too. Don't get me wrong. 
But for what Marvel has lined up, they have a strong year coming up this year, next year, and following. And it's only going to keep going. Well, so if you thought that train was slowing down anytime soon, uh, nope. Nope. Just wait till you hear the word mutant get said in Eternals. Oh, Christ. And yeah. everybody's going to lose their damn mind. Yeah. Because you know, with a Fantastic Four being made, it's a matter of time till we see Charles... Cyclops, Jean Grey, and company make their mm-hmm. way over. So definitely an exciting time to be a fan. But let us know what you think. Hit us up on that hashtag. Hashtag ODPHpod. Your thought about the Marvel movie slate getting dropped on us. Phase four. Let us talk about it. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. You know what that sound means? It's another episode of Game for a Movie where we ask, are you game for a movie? Tell me, Andre. There's no special features on that goddamn DVD. All right? Oh, wow. For Hansel and Gretel? Hansel and Gretel. You the DVD. Yeah. Of Hansel and Gretel. She basically has sex with it somehow. No, it, Four yeah. play. Yes. She's, she's chair foreplay. play. I mean, they knocked out the park, which is why it's my number three. So. Oh! <laughs> yes. I mean, I wouldn't be in it because this movie doesn't have women. But, you know, that's you why it's right. It has one. You would one have three that. lines of dialogue. So she has three. Oh. Okay. So I'm actually going to get, like, I actually get, like, I earn my, my, my four sentences of dialogue rather than, like, here, have a paycheck. You just stood there on the screen. You're a sexy lamp. Anyway, we're not. Phoenix, too. So, no. No. Because they really hate each other, so we get to enjoy some wonderful comedic scenes of them hating each other so much that they get into physical altercations that include her biting detective, ex-detective Phillips's dick. Okay. But we don't. Okay. I, I know all of those words were English, but the way you <laughs> constructed yeah, them, I'm, I'm lost. Not, I'm not finding the ratings on them very well. For those who haven't rated us or uh, liked or given us a review, don't say that we haven't given you anything of value after listening to this podcast. You now know the difference between an R rated dick and an NC 17 X rated dick. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening to Game for a Movie, where we ask, Are you game for a movie? We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. And like we said, happy May the 4th with everybody. Yeah. So, obviously, we got to talk some Star Wars. Yeah. Who better than the Star Wars aficionado of 607 Podcast? I think that's official to say. No disrespect to our guys over at 3FN. But I think there's one person that represents that brand like nobody else. And that is Padawan J. I'm saying we're not talking the Simpsons, uh, The Force Awakens from a nap uh, special. Because, hey, writers behind Simpsons, you're like seven, four, five, six years late on that joke. People were making that joke when they announced the title for The Last Jedi because The Force Awakens, The Last Jedi. And people were making that joke then from a nap. Yes. So you're behind the eight ball. So, Pad, what dropped today that you definitely want to tell our friends about So that would be the latest Star Wars animated show in The Bad Batch, which is a spinoff from the very successful, award-winning, one of my favorite cartoons of all time, Star Wars The Clone Wars, which ran for seven seasons, all seven seasons, plus the film currently on Disney+. Plus. Definitely go give them a check out. Uh, Excuse me, they got a kind of like a backdoor pilot in the first arc, because the way The Clone Wars works is they'll do arcs of stories where it's, you know, three, four episodes where it's like all one kind of story uh and then they go on to something else uh they were in the first arc of season seven uh and got introduced very interesting group they are a gloop a gloop they are a group of genetically modified clones so they're not your at your standard average clones that just you know 
good speed, good strength. They run around. They're very accurate in shooting. Each of them has got a uh, special skill, so to speak. Uh, There's one who is, he's clearly, he's tall. He's wide in the shoulders. He's stocky and well-built, and he's got muscles for days. He's the he's the heavy lifter. He's the strength guy of the group. You've got one guy who I I forget the name, but I'll have to look it up. But he's the sharpshooter. You've got uh, Hunter, I believe, is their leader. You've got uh, another guy who's the tech expert. You got another guy who's kind of like the strategist, uh, and they get kind of sent in there when things are kind of behind the eight ball, and you need you need some help. Uh, so if you're looking to get into this series, but you're not quite sure where what about them, where to start. Yeah, uh, the, the, that's me. <laughs> uh, so the folks over at IGN gave a very good list of some episodes you need or some stuff you need to check out uh, to kind of get yourself familiarized. Obviously, the uh, one of the things you should watch, as I mentioned, is the Bad Batch arc, which is episodes one through four of season seven of The Clone Wars. And that's because, like I said, it's the kind of backdoor pilot. It introduced the characters. It gave you four episodes to really get to know the guys. Uh, so that's also good to know. Uh, another one they recommended was The Deserter. This was episode 10 in season two. Uh, and the, uh, their reason for this is, uh, quote, no doubt the Bad Batch will continue and expand upon one of the most important themes from the Clone Wars, the question of whether the clones have free will and if they're capable of becoming something more than living weapons. Uh, that question is at the heart of this season two episode as an injured Captain Rex and his teammate meet Cut Laquane. Uh, a former trooper who deserted the Republic in favor of starting a family. So definitely one of the more interesting episodes because it, at that point you figure, oh yeah, no, they're because you see in the movies they're very loyal. They'll do anything you say. But here's this one who goes, uh, I'm not okay with this. I'm going to leave and cut out on my own. That's kind of wild. Yeah. Uh, another uh, arc you should check out is called the Citadel Arc. This is from season three. It's episodes 14 through 16 of the Clone Wars. Uh, and this is where you got to see uh, Tarkin uh, make his appearance. And uh, Tarkin, I can tell you, uh, makes an appearance, obviously, uh, in the Bad Batch. So not a bad one to check out. And it kind of paves the way for why Tarkin's a bit of a jerk. Hmm. Uh, you've also got, uh, we know the character Saw Gerrera is going to make an appearance uh, in this show. First got his appearance in the Clone Wars. So worth going back to check out kind of where he made his debut. And that was in season, the Onderon arc, which was season five, episodes two through four. Uh, so kind of where he gets his start, definitely worth a check out there. Uh, and then you've got the clone conspiracy arc, which was in season six. It's the first four episodes. This is where they started delving into order 66 and kind of mm. the, the workings behind it and how it exactly came about. Uh, I don't want to spoil too much anything about it because it is a very good story and is very heavy. It's not exactly kid friendly, so to speak, but it, it gets a little heavy. Uh, and then you also have, obviously, the Siege of Mandalore arc. Uh, that is uh, episodes 9 through 12 of season 7. Uh, yeah, this is where you hear, uh, this is where they go to fight on Mandalore and retake it from uh, the powers that be, you know, from uh, Darth Maul and his forces. And this is where uh, Order 66 goes down, for, at least for that portion of things. Interesting. Uh, also, uh, as we know, Fennec Shan, played by Ming-Na Wen, is going to make an appearance in this character uh, in this series or a younger version. So, uh, obviously, uh, episode or episode five of The Mandalorian, chapter five, I should say, The Gunslinger, obviously worth checking out uh, because, hey, that's where she got her introduction and always good to go back and learn where you first saw the character. And I think that also kicked off a lot of more, I don't want to say mainstream mm-hmm. uh, eyes watching, but I think with the success of The Mandalorian... And once people saw uh, Ming-Na Wen's character, yeah. they got more invested about finding out who she was, yeah. and then that kind of kicked in a little more interest for the Bad Batch. Yeah. Because when that got announced yeah. at the big uh, Disney Expo, yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, everybody lost their mind about it. Uh-huh. That. 
So that being said, we're going to get into some spoilers. Uh, three, two, one. Honestly, this season, if it keeps going this way, could be like an eighth season of Clone Wars. Really? I'm not lying because the episode starts. Uh, it's right. It, it starts with Tom Kane, uh, who narrated Yoda in the Clone Wars series. Also, uh, Admiral Yularen. He was also the narrator for every episode. You know, because that was a cool thing with Clone Wars was you got the intro. And then it'd give you a little quote, you know, in the kind of like that Star Wars, you know, a long time ago, Galaxy Far, Far Away uh, fought. And then it'd go into this like newsreel World War Two, you know, hey, what's going on? you know, it kind of just like summarizing, hey, here's what's been going on involving our story. Here's what you here's what you know, some information you need to know and go, you know, so it starts off with that awesome uh intro that you know so for me watching that for seven seasons that was I'm like oh i missed i missed hearing that that was awesome to hear uh but it starts off we were on a planet and you meet uh, and i my ears perked up at this uh it's the middle of the cl- it's right in the middle of the clone wars you know the clones are fighting the the separatist battle droids things are going good uh and you have a clone captain take shelter with a jedi master and when they said the name i went Oh shit, I know where we are because of the comics. Uh, it was Jedi Master Depa Balaba. Uh, and I will, I'll get to why my ears perked up in a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have the captain expressing his pessimism, you know, that things aren't going to work out. Like, hey, we're pinned down. This ain't going to work. You know, we're, we're, we're outnumbered here. But uh, the Balaba goes, hey, don't worry. My Padawan's going to come back, is bringing bring reinforcements. Uh, the Padawan comes back, and it is none other than Caleb Doom, who, if the name doesn't sound familiar, that's because he survives Order 66, spoiler alert, and goes on to be one Kanan Jarrus oh. in Star Wars Rebels. Okay. Yeah, so this is something that they kind of hinted on and touched upon in the uh, Kanan comic series they did a couple of years ago. So when they, when they, because they named Depa Balaba, I was like, oh, sh- son of a bitch, I know what's going to happen here. That's so, awesome. Yeah, so that was awesome to see. So uh, Caleb, Kanan or Caleb uh, arrives, and he's coming through the, the battle, and he shows up, and the, uh, his master goes, hey, where are the reinforcements? And he goes, oh, don't worry, they're, don't worry, they're coming. How many did you get? Five. 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 How did you? He's like, oh, don't worry, they'll be enough. Uh, so he goes, you know, he gets pressed for more information. Uh, you know, five. Uh, his master believes they're doomed. Like, all right, we're pinned down. We need all the extra help we can get. And you're sending, f- and we're getting five people. All right. So at that point, a large, uh, you get a boulder rolls down the hill, crushes and scatters three columns of battle droids. And you're on, oh, you know, son of a, son of a gun. And who comes running, running in? Bad Batch. It's, mm. it's, it's the clone troopers in, the, in their uh, outfits and costumes. They don't look like any typical clone troopers you might see. Very distinguished. Uh, they take advantage of the distraction. They destroy the battle droids. You've got Hunter, who's the leader, uses his viral blade and takes them out. Uh, while uh, Tech, their kind of Tech guy, yeah, uh, plants some devices on the droids and short, short circuits them. Uh, their sharpshooter crosshair uh, takes aim and, and shoots them with his. Uh, it's like a sniper rifle type of thing. So they they all watch this and and the uh, clone captain admits he's he's impressed you know it's because let's face it they're one of those things that like they're heard of and the clones know who they are but they're only five of them you never really see them or hear about them until you're actually there uh, mm-hmm. so that goes through you know that they win that battle and they're standing there and then you see, then you just hear uh, they go the the clone force ninety nine bad batch go walking away because hey we got to go do some stuff. 
uh, and the, they cut back to the two clone troopers who are in the middle of getting a transmission and you just hear execute order 66. Ooh. So, ooh. Yeah. So the, the Jedi master has sent her Padawan with the troop, the bad batch to go work on something. And then they get order 62 clone troopers get order 66. They start firing on his Jedi master. He, uh, Caleb Kanan hears the blaster shots, turns around, starts running back towards her, trying oh, master, you know, trying to help her, but she goes, no run, get out of here, save yourself. And he ends up running off. But at this point he doesn't trust a soul because let's face well, it. Right. Obviously you can't with order yeah. 66 going down. But what's, what's interesting about this. And this is going to be interesting going down the road to see what the heck's going on with this is the bad batch. aren't reacting to this, that they're just kind of like, they're standing there and going, the heck's going on like at one point uh one of the guys in the bad batch gets you know all clone intelligence you know the war may not last much longer you know clone intelligence has received information that uh general kenobi is engaged with general grievous on utapau and it's like okay you know you know how close you're getting so but they're not reacting to order 66 now whether it's something's up with their chips because they're genetically modified or they don't have chips you know who's to say i'm, I'm sure we'll find out at some point but they're not reacting to this. And they're kind of watching this going, what in the actual hell is going on here? Right. Like, you've served under them for all these years. Why are you suddenly turning on them? You know, so you, you get going on. Excuse me. Uh, you know, they you, you, get, you cut to Kanan running through. And I'm just going to say Kanan because that's how I think of him. Uh, you have Kanan, Caleb running through the forest trying to survive. And, you know, all the meanwhile, the Bad Batch is trying to help him. Trying to help him, trying, trying to help him. But all the meanwhile, you know, they're trying to help him, but you got the one, Crosshair, who's just like, listen. He says at one point, good soldiers follow orders. And I'm hmm. like, oh, that's not good. No, that's never good. That's not good because that's what's been said a couple times in the Clone Wars with some of the troop, the troopers after they've turned in regards to Order 66 or when the chip malfunctioned and they were going slightly nuts. You know, so he he's all good soldiers followers. So the rest of them, the other four want to help him. Like, hey, listen, like Hunter, the leader, puts his blade down, puts his gun down, puts his hands up and goes, because Kanan doesn't trust him. Like, no, listen, I'm on your side. Like, I want to help you. And Crosshair comes in and starts firing at him. He goes, no, stop. What are you doing? We're trying to help him. And he goes, listen, we got an order from the Supreme Chancellor to hunt down the Jedi, we have to do this. And no, we don't. We don't have to do this. Uh, so that goes down. Uh, Hunter is the only one who can keep up with them, and they run after each other. They run after him. They come up to this chasm, this gorge. Kanan jumps it, uh, and all the meanwhile, Hunter just kind of stands there. And uh, Crosshair and a couple others and a couple other troopers come up and go, "Oh, where is he? Oh, I stunned him in midair, and he fell to his death." And, wow! And they bring bring and Crosshair brings up a little bit later. He goes which isn't the truth. And, and crosshair brings up to him later. He goes, so you, so you stunned him in midair and he fell to his death. Did he? Oh yeah, no, that's what happened. Then why were you looking across and not down? Typically when you kill something in midair, you watch it fall down. And he go and he just kind of brushes off like, Oh, listen, I didn't, I didn't feel like watching that. I didn't, I didn't want to watch that. So clearly saw so, clearly something's go something's going on. It's just all sorts of, wacky uh later they travel back home to camino they're they're travel home they haven't been home in a while they're they're trying to figure out how long it's been since they've been home uh, 
they then are, as they get off their kind of cargo ship, transport ship, whatever it is, as they land on Camino, uh, they notice these kind of like white with red flare troopers are walking by and they go, oh, those are, those are uh, shock troopers. They're clone, they're clone shock troopers. And they're like, what the, what the heck are they doing here? Cause it's, it's one of those things. It's just, they, they shouldn't be there. Uh, you know, and then over the comic, they find, they find out there's a level five lockdown in place and security teams are report to the command center. Uh, the tech realizes it's not a drill. And then Wrecker, he's the big strong guy wonders, uh, what they missed. Uh, one of the troopers who's walking by goes, you missed the end of the war. And they're, they're like, what? They're like, what? So they then learn that General Grievous is dead. The uh, separatist leadership has fallen. The war's over. So they're like, oh, cool. So they then go over, they then kind of like this general assembly, like stand in formation while they watch. And this, this is the awesome part is uh, with the execute order 66. And then the speech, they watch Palpatine's speech that he gave in the Senate after Yoda, uh, after the Jedi attack and all that, where you know, all the will be reformed in the first galactic empire, uh, that audio and then execute order 66 is lifted from revenge of the Sith. Ooh, that's nice. So you that's get, so you get to hear the audio from the movie. So it's them watching him tell the story about, Oh no, the Jedi attack has left me scar, you know, the first galactic empire. And they're sitting there cause I'm not still quite sold on what's going on with their inhibitor chips, but they're like, this is bullshit. Like, this don't make any sense. None of this lines up. Well, that's such an interesting take, too. I mean, we know with the Bad Batch of clones that they're not going to be the ones that are completely falling in line with everything mm-hmm. the Empire's doing. No. And to see how they're reacting to Order 66. I mean, this is like a brand new take through fresh eyes. Yeah, no, and, it, and it's something we haven't seen because uh, Revenge of the Sith, you saw it from kind of like the main character's eyes, Obi-Wan and Anakin and, and what have you. You didn't really see kind of behind the scenes what was going on. And even with Clone Wars, where it kind of like went past Revenge of the Sith a little bit, you still didn't see what, like, it was just kind of like, okay, uh, Anakin will turn to the dark side. Jedi got taken out. uh, Separatists got taken out. War's over. And then we kind of go into Rogue One. Mm. You know, this is kind of, you know, and then Rebels as well. But this is kind of like the first look of like, hey, this wasn't just like a flip of a switch and things are all hunky-dory, you know. It, it, there's more to it than that. I mean, you see Tarkin show up and he's talking with the prime minister of Camino and they're going like, Oh, Hey, the empire's thinking about phasing out the cloning program. Mm. And the, and the prime minister is like, uh, Hey, listen, we have outstanding contracts that are still have a lot of years left that says, you know, the Republic is, you know, is going to purchase clone troop clones from us. And, and Tarkin goes, that contract was with, with, uh, with the Republic, which is no longer around, it's not with the Empire, and I'm here to reassess whether that's feasible, because we can recruit just as many uh, average Joes and Janes, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. as you could make clones for a fraction of the price. So they're go in, okay, they're cutting costs when you know they're going to be spending the next like twenty something years building the Death Star, so they need to make save some money. Uh, so you've got all that. So it's, it's very interesting to see just kind of like the behind the scenes stuff that, it, like I said, it's not just the flip of a switch. It's kind of like there's, there's a little bit more to it than that. And that's a cool take that they do for it. That they're trying to make these bad batch clones more layered. Yeah. And I think that does connect to the viewer watching because you're sitting there going, okay, why should be invested? And yet we're seeing the multi layers here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, after that, the group goes back to their barracks and they actually end up meeting this little blonde girl that they caught a glimpse of earlier. Uh, that you learn her name is Omega. 
Uh, and then you learn from a female Kaminoan, Nala say, she says, Omega, oh, Omega's my assistant. She, you know, she's got a curious mind and it causes her to wander. Uh, keep her in mind because, well, that's not all she is. So after a few things go on, uh, you then find out that Tarkin isn't quite sure the uh, Bad Batch is up to snuff. They're not, that they're not quite all they they should be because he some reports got filed about what happened in regards to uh, Depa Balaba and then Caleb Doom that he doesn't think they're on the side of the Empire, that their inhibitor chips are working right hmm. So he decides to test their loyalty. So he goes, all right, we're going to send you to this world. There's some insurrectionists there. It's I believe he says they're clone. Uh, they're not clones. Uh, they're droids. They need to be taken out. You know, you need to go there and take them out. So they're okay. So they they get on a ship. They go to the planet. They land there. They sneak. They the one wants to just go guns blazing through the forest and, and blast them when they find them, which is probably the route I would take. I hate stealth. Yeah. Um. But they no. We got to stealth this. They track them down. They go there and we'll come to find out. It's not, they're like all right. There's 25. Uh, signatures there. All right, let's go in there. So they go in there, guns drawn, ready to start fighting, and come to find out they're not droids. They're people. Ooh. And they're not just people. There's They're Republic fighters who are obviously not with the Republic anymore. Uh, and one among them is Saw Gerrera. And one of the troopers realizes who it is. They go, oh, you're Saw Gerrera, who's trained by General Kenobi and Skywalker to fight the Separatists. He goes, oh, yeah, no, that that's me. But they go, he goes, well, so, you know, the Empire sent you to find us. Oh, what are you here, what are you here for? Oh, well, we were sent here to destroy a droid insurrectionist. And he goes, oh, does it look like droid insurrectionists here? And it's not just Saw and a bunch of guys looking to fight. It's kids mm-hmm. and elderly folks. Mm-hmm. That it's kind of, it's almost kind of like a refugee camp. And this is all they got. And here Tarkin is going, oh, yeah, go in there, kill him. Which... Kind of a dick move, but hey, that's, yeah, that's Tarkin. That's a very dick move. <laughs> Excuse me. You know, so they go through that. They just and, and basically Saw tells them like, "Hey, listen, you need to kind of question things right now because I'm not even there, and I know everything's not on the up and up." So Hunter, the leader, kind of starts taking to that, and then they that's when they realize that the little girl they met earlier, Omega, is also they find out that she's also a uh, enhanced clone. That, hmm. hey, we, you know, she's like us. We need to go rescue her. At this point, Crosshair goes, what the hell is wrong with you? We're out here because of your screw-ups, and you've been screwing up a lot lately. You know, first you have the situation with the Padawan. Then you have the situation with this. You know, this isn't going to look good on you. This is going to come back down on us. And he's like, listen, no, I know I'm doing the right thing. We have to do this. And he goes, oh. and everybody else is in agreement with Hunter, the leader. Like, hey, no, we need to do this. We need to rescue her. So they get back, they, they try to sneak back onto, onto Camino. They get caught, thrown in prison where they reunite with Omega, the little girl. Uh, so at that point, they're kind of sitting there, kind of just kind of doing their own thing uh, when Crosshair gets taken. And they're like, oh, where are you taking him? You know, we, we got to stay together. And like, no, listen, orders, he's coming with us. So he gets taken off into a separate room where the Kaminoans and some droids start looking at him, specifically at his inhibitor chip. And they start shooting. I don't. I don't know what it, it looked like electricity or something. And they were messing with the inhibitor chip, and they did something to him because while this is going on, you've got the Bad Batch is sitting there, and they realize, oh wait a minute, this facility was built long before clones were a thing. That it was built as like a habitation, like a li- some place where somebody to live. It wasn't built with us in mind specifically. You, 
you know, the giant Hulkin one that can mm. destroy anything. Like we got to find a spot cause we can break out of here. So they find a spot, they break through it, they break out and they're trying to make a run for it. And they, they making their way to the ship while they're trying to hotwire the ship to launch it. And a bunch of clone troopers come in along with crosshair. And you can clearly see just from his physical, his bot, his demeanor, the way he's carrying himself. He's not the crosshair that you've been seeing in prior episodes. And, Interesting. And up to this point where he's turned, he's now the, the inhibitor chip that it, cause they show he has one in him. They show this kind of like uh, x-ray looking thing where it's there, but they're not quite sure what's going on with it. They think that maybe something with the mutation has like either dampened it or made it not work. They've clearly figured that out and turned that back on because he's like, hey, no, listen, we need to do this because uh, Emperor Palpatine has de- deemed it so. Mm-hmm. So they get they get into a gunfight, you know, smokescreen and the whole nine. Uh, they take off while he's standing, while Crosshair's standing there. And so clearly we haven't seen the last of him, but they take off and they're going to, I, I don't know whether it's a planet or a person's nickname, but they're going to something named J-19. Interesting. Yeah, no, so very good episodes. It's 104, 114. It's an hour and 14 minutes long, so it's well. It's probably about the length of one, two, three, probably like three and a half Clone Wars episodes. Damn. In, like Because Clone Wars episodes, because the first five seasons were on Cartoon Network, so it was 22 minutes. Okay. And they kind of kept that for season six, which was on Netflix. And then season seven, I believe, was about the same, probably a little longer. But for like the first, five, if you're just looking at the first five seasons of Clone Wars, it was like three and a half episodes of Clone Wars. Well, to bring this group back, I mean, this, and obviously when you're talking about Clone Saga mm-hmm. and you're talking about Order 66, I mean, they're going to go big for this. Uh-huh. Because you have to. I mean, it's one of the biggest moments in Star Wars history. Oh, yeah. So you can't exactly just tie it up nicely in 20 minutes. No. So this was a good extension of that storyline yeah. really showing okay. Right. And like I said, it's something that under the current canon has never really been e- expanded upon. I know in the old canon, the old EU, there was the Dark Horse comic called, I can't remember what it was called, but it was set in the middle of like when the, like the Empire wasn't fresh and new, but they weren't quite at New Hope. It was kind of like, it was kind of like that in between of like a couple years after Revenge of the Sith, but before. Uh, a new hope so like you had that going on but like for the disney stuff they've never gone into this territory for anything and it's very interesting to see it and i'm very interested to see where they go with it do you think there's any specific reason why they've never touched upon it uh i'm not really sure i i think part of it was just because in the old canon it was just you know convenience and like oh hey we've got you know because the books by and large went from return of the jedi on that was very uh, well explored they explored a lot of the clone wars era you know what was going on in that time period and they delved a little bit into some of the stuff beforehand. I know they did a, a trilogy on Darth Bane, which is very good. Not canon, but I still, if you let, want to read a Star Wars book series by Drew Karpshin, uh very good, very good read. Uh, and they did some other stuff, but like just whatever reason, they never really went into it all that much. Interesting. Well, that's one nice thing about going back to it now. I mean, I think mm-hmm. The Mandalorian has taught us that you, there are still stories to be told yeah. in between the movies. Yeah. And as long as you can really connect those characters to your audience, I yeah, mean, yeah. they'll definitely be timeless. So I could see a Boba Fett appearance because, hey, lesson he's still running around at this time. Hopefully he's not the little shit we saw in Clone Wars because, hey, he was a kid and he was a little shit. Yeah, but you know what? He turned into the baddest mother in the galaxy. Mm-hmm. I'm censoring myself because I'm trying to remain calm because, you know, it's, it's Boba Fett. This the, is true. The king of the galaxy. No word on where Jar Jar is. Thank God. I don't want to see him on screen. Anytime soon. But the Bad Bash kicked off with a strong opening from what you're saying. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I would have to say I'd probably give this 
eight or nine out of ten. If I'm giving, okay. if, if I'm giving it a number a number grade, there very good. If you're a Star Wars fan, I definitely recommend you check this out because it's like I said, it's a cartoon, but it, it's kind of in that like Avatar: The Last Airbender type of thing where it's like it's a cartoon, but it's not really a kids' cartoon. No, and that's it's, one... it's just the medium they're using to tell the story. Exactly, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Star Wars animated shows, like I said, you've caught the Clone Wars. I have not. I've caught a little bit of Rebels here and there, which I like when I've caught. I just got to yeah. really sit down and binge watch it. Oh, it's so good. But it's just something when Star Wars comes out with this, and especially on May the 4th, be with you mm-hmm. of all days. Yep. They're coming with something very strong. This is something like we talked about. They were talking to the Disney Expo about when they released everything under the sun yep. coming for Star yep. Wars. And when this got dropped, I know that everybody lit up and was like, wow, this is happening. So going off your review, this is definitely living up to the billing. Absolutely. So definitely hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What was your thoughts about Disney Plus's Star Wars The Bad Batch? Were you excited like Pad was about it? Did you not like it? Let's have that discussion, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Good morning. Brian Wayne here to tell you about my new podcast, The Real Brains. The Real Brains podcast is a show coming out daily dedicated to the everyday struggle of just the average human being. From troubles with rage to uh, anecdotes about uh, very strange human interactions, this podcast really is just a uh, somebody that's all too familiar with the struggle. I'm here to let you know that you are not alone, so come laugh at uh, our pain together every single weekday, every place you can catch a podcast. I got the real brains with Brian Wayne. Remember, stay sane. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast and pad. Fear the Walking Dead. Uh huh. Let's go. This show, I keep stressing about it, but everybody needs to start tuning in and watching. This is, if you're into the Walking Dead universe, this is the show that you're looking for. This is not the one that you know takes the easy road. This one, they're killing off major characters. They put the fear back into this universe that everybody's living in. So it's not all Daryl Dixon conquers everything. No, like they're making some moves and they're definitely touching upon a lot of different themes and different emotions. And this has got so much going on. I know I didn't get a chance to talk about last week's episode. So if you're not, I'm going to give you a quick recap of episode 10, Handle with Care, and episode 11, The Holding, which was absolutely wild. So if you've not seen it on AMC or on demand yet, I'm giving you fair warning. I'm jumping into spoilers because, Pad, we need to talk about this. I know you like The Walking Dead, but you need to start watching this show. So let us jump into spoilers. You got the warning. So in three, two, one, what did I think? Well, first, Handle with Care was kind of a different episode, and it focuses on a lot about Daniel. So if you know him, Ruben Blades plays him. And this really took a time to figure out what was going on because he kicks off with him in a prison cell. And obviously, they're doing some flashbacks where you have Morgan who's setting up his new community and everything that's going on there. Mm-hmm. So then you have Daniel trying to be, I don't want to say he's in the Daryl Dixon role because sure. I think that that's not the right wording, but he's being one of his trusted allies in this and establishing this new world. And where they open up with a simple thing about Daniel taking the guns away from everybody in the community and hiding it, it turns out that there is more going on with this. That when they have. Strand show up, and there is still some unsettled business going on between those two characters. I mean, Coleman Domingo plays him. Coleman Domingo plays him amazing, sure. and like I say, he is a perfect Negan type character for the show. Like you don't know what he's got going on, and when there's an explosion going on because there is a, some dynamite that triggers 
a zombie attack on the town. Okay. They can't seem to find where the guns are. And it's kind of framed on what's going on between Daniel and Strand. Like, it kind of is this unwritten rule, like, what's going on? And immediately, Daniel is trying to take blame on Strand for what's going on. And it's this very back and forth, this entire episode, which, like I say, you really don't have an idea what's going on until they start deep diving in it. Because Morgan is too tied up with dealing with a pregnant Grace. Mm -hmm. So he's not really involved with this. So like I say, when you see the dynamite explosion happen, everybody's acting like, okay, there's traitors going on. And Strand is accepting the defeat that what's happened. Because obviously with, with Virginia being killed off. Yeah. It's kind of a little different that's happening. So... Strand has to kind of accept that there is a change in the stat quo and Daniel is definitely playing up against him. So you know that that's going on and Salazar has this reveal going on with Strand because they're going back and forth and it's revealed that he's double playing everybody hmm. that basically he's framed them for the weapons. They have this weird standoff where where Daniel's ready to kill him in the jail. Oh, of course he is until he gets distracted by what's going on until Morgan shows up and starts asking questions. So like I said, he's been gone for such a long time in this episode. Then when we finally see him come back, he's basically going, what's going on with Daniel. And like I say, he plays this off very well though. You start with a simple, I don't want to say murder mystery. Cause it's not. Yeah. But you're starting to wonder about whose intentions are really true. Strand or Daniel. And it's the back and forth going on here that when when Daniel is almost ready to shoot him, this is where everything kind of gets thrown off. And then we see that Grace is missing from camp. Now, Morgan has some invested interest in this. He's been basically taken over pregnant Grace since the a couple episodes when he inherited the community to take over. Mm-hmm. So he winds up going out to track her down because once she goes leaving the community, Morgan is trying to find her. When they finally catch up to her, it appears that Daniel gave them wrong directions. Uh-oh. And he keeps like backtracking. He's like, no, I told you to go to the safe house. And she's saying, no, you didn't. You told us to go here. And this back and forth that he is now appearing to be very confused at what's going on. So finally, they find all these weapons that everybody's missing is in Daniel's locker mm. that he has hidden aside. And Daniel is looking absolutely puzzled as all can be. So they wind up reaching out to June, who obviously has been dealing with killing Virginia yeah. and leaving town. But she comes back. And is starting to work with Daniel to figure out what's going on. And it does turn out to be that Daniel is suffering from some type of disorder. Mm-hmm. A personality disorder that they're still trying to figure out what's going on. Because he's not remembering certain things going on. And Daniel is trying to basically leave the community. But Strand, who does something uncharacteristic here. Okay. Strand invites him to come with him hmm. into where he's staying at in Lawton. And says, "Will you know? You'll be safe there. We will have. We'll try helping you out with what's going on." And then Daniel kind of just rides off. So yet this other character, and like I say, I can't stress enough the back and forth about this. I'm really summarizing it because once you start figuring out, okay, what happened to the weapons? What happened with the dynamite going off? And then what happened in the standoff with Strand? To now the directions where Grace is now missing it out there. It just goes to show the dynamic performance of about how Daniel is handling this personality disorder. And like I said, Ruben Blades played this character phenomenal for this episode. I can't stress enough about how detailed it was for how simple the plot was. Right. And in, in going back and forth. And like I said, when he gets with Coleman Domingo, it is absolutely must-watch TV. You see those two go back and forth. And if you've been following the show, you do know that they have some history, and they're not exactly friends with each other by any stretch of the imagination. But it turned out to be a fantastic episode. And like I say, it was something that, 
is a nice little change of pace because we've had so many big moments happen this season uh, with big characters getting killed off. Right. And you kind of need that little break in the action, so to speak. But this one, you had those moments where it still was Fear the Walking Dead. It's still like, and I can't stress that enough, you still have those moments where not everything needs to be about bad guy versus good guy. Mm -hmm. It took the examination of a character and to kind of see what they're dealing with in this apocalyptic world. And Daniel showed that this is what is going on. Not everything needs to be about the zombies. I can't stress enough about Ruben Blades playing him and did a phenomenal job as it. And then to go build the story a little bit, because with Morgan, you know that everything has been dealing with the fallout of Virginia. And now that he's leading his own community and he's dealing with another threat that's coming on, is going to start ramping up again with four more episodes left in the season. Or three, right. or three rather, I should say. Right. But now, that was episode 10. Let us jump into episode 11. Because this is when shit got weird. See, I was trying not to swear this week. But, man, they kick off this episode. And they're under. There you see an underground base. And you see zombies getting used as fertilizer. Ew. Yeah, this was a little creepy, but this is what I loved about the show is, okay, we did get weird, but it made sense to get weird because we know throughout the entire season, and even in the last season too, we have seen this graffiti getting written, the end is the beginning, and it is representing yeah. a group. Yeah. And we, we haven't figured out exactly who's been going on with this, but we finally start getting some answers as we're seeing this, <laughs> this cult. Let's be honest, it's a cult is starting to fertilize with zombies, and they're basically trying to find a way to become undead. Like, that's kind of the vibe I got from this. But it was so creepy to see how this was done. And they keep mentioning this Teddy, who is their leader. And you can kind of hear a voice going over the loudspeaker. And it's just this really creepy scene underground. So you don't really have an idea what's going on. Right. But this is an interesting play because... You see survivors from Morgan's camp. You see Luciana, you see Wes, you see Alicia and Althea go to this underground facility to kind of see what's going on. Mm -hmm. Because a few episodes back, there was an attack that happened on Tank Town. So you remember there was all these um, gas explosions going on. Everything was happening. Virginia was accusing everybody of turning in traitor. Mm Mm-hmm. This is kind of a follow-up to that. And I love how the how Fear the Walking Dead is tying into past episodes. Like, for somebody that watches old episodes and see those Easter eggs come back, right? marking out about this, I'm like, okay, here we go. Let's see what happens. So as they wind up sneaking into the building, they do wind up getting intercepted by some of the cult people. And that's the only way I can describe them, because that's exactly what they are. We do see an old friend make an appearance. Okay. And that is Wes's brother, Derek, who was originally written off that he passed out uh, during a, an attack and he was discovered by these cultists. And he's sitting there and you have that emotional meeting where he meets back with his brother. And basically, he's trying to convert the survivors into their group and kind of say that the surface is not good for anybody. We need to start over. And this is how we're doing this. And it goes back to where they admit about the attack on Tank Town. And you see Wes is very torn in this episode, too. Right. That this is something that he's struggling back and forth to see about, you know, obviously he sees his brother who he thought was dead is now alive. Right. 
And Colby Holman, who plays him, did a phenomenal job with this as they go this back and forth. And they do tie in more aspects where Althea is picking up about the CRM. Hmm. Now, if you've been following the show and all shows rather, this is the big group that's kind of been tying their hands in everything I know about Worlds of Worlds of Beyond. Yeah. That we've seen them kind of lingering around. You know I'm not a big fan of that show. We know they've been slowly tying into the actual mainstream Walking Dead show. And now in fear, we're kind of seeing their hands are all over the place here. So but, a lot of hands and a lot of cookie jars. Yeah. Which is definitely telling about where they're trying to make this group into being the next like major, major threat. Right. Maybe but, a threat big enough to bring back a certain uh cowboy hat wearing sheriff that's what i'm thinking that this is all building up to the return of rick grimes which supposedly the movie might be getting filmed soon eh, that's that's my flash like i'll believe it when i see it yeah I, i'm i'm not holding i want to see it but like christ you've been teasing it for however many years right but as we see that's kind of a little easter egg going on that they're finding all these maps and they're seeing where the crm is kind of looking at so this cult group is really examining this so we do see this kind of weird standoff where Alicia is trying to make a, a claim that she's like, okay, you guys, if I can get you out of here, I'll take, I'll stay here and I'll do what I have to to get you free, but get back to Morgan and let them know what's going on. And we do see that during this point too, Wes winds up meeting up with Derek, and like I say, they're kind of doing having more of a fallout too because this group is ready to kill everybody involved. Of course they are. And like I say, there's something about a bombing fluid too, which I know we talk about taxidermists a while back with the show. This is not something for the squeamish. No. That we're seeing that they're ready to basically imply their death philosophy on our survivors. So there is that sense of tension. There is this kind of playoff. You do see the Derek tries making one final plea with Wes to escape, and then they wind up having this battle out where you, I honestly thought they were killing Wes off. Right. But Wes winds up fighting for the gun that Derek has. And winds up shooting him. So he has to unfortunately put down his own brother, which is another emotional scene. And one thing that fear is nailing too, that you have these big character moments that if you've been watching the show, this is paying off. Okay. It's something that if you haven't been watching the show, you're still taking it very seriously and this is happening. And you're still getting an emotional thing. But if you've been watching for at least a couple seasons, because you know I jumped back into Fear the Walking Dead after New York Comic Con. This is where I'm starting to kind of connect the dots here a little bit, and this is really starting to pay off. But as we see, our team does make another triumphant escape. We do see that there's a meat locker episode where you, you're seeing people are tied up and there's zombies too. Right. And it's another wild episode. But Alicia winds up siphoning some gas off and blowing the rooms up. And as Morgan meets up with the team that finally escapes, Alicia has a run-in with the head big bad of this group, the infamous Teddy. Oh, boy. Who is played by somebody you know rather well, Pat. Yeah, uh, I believe it's uh, John Glover. Who yes. Who was uh, a Lionel Luthor on Smallville for many seasons. Yes, so he has now came up with this crazy idea of resetting the world. And where he's going with this, I mean, he absolutely steals the scenes he's on. And he is building up that drama because he just sounds absolutely batshit crazy. Man, you see, I'm trying not to swear this week, and here we go. That's how good this episode was. And then we start kind of finding out about why he's looking for one Morgan. And this ties back into when Emil, the bounty hunter, was going after him. Because Morgan has in his possession a key. What does that key belong to, Pad? Uh, I don't know. The idea is it is one submarine key that 
quite possibly has a nuclear missile on it. I don't think that's how that works, but okay. There's reasons, folks. I am trusting what they're doing. I am definitely interested to see how this is all playing out. And we do know that there was a submarine from early on, too. I'm showing Pad the picture as we're talking. So Hmm. this is above ground. This is not underwater. So if there is some kind of weaponry to set off everything, and if we are talking nuclear weapons, the stakes just went that much higher. I'm all here for this. So where we're going to go next week is anybody's guess. Morgan, though, however, is denying anything about this TED Talk. Of course he is. Which, I mean, in all honesty, I don't think he probably realizes what he has. He just knows he has to deal with a bounty hunter coming after him. And now Teddy apparently has him locked in on his sights. He has an army with him, even though they just lost their underground zombie kitchen, whatever you want to talk about. But still, he has enough people motivated around him that if this is going to be the end of the world, he's taking everybody there with him. And I, for one, am definitely invested to see how this all plays out. This is the show, and I keep stressing it. I'm going to keep talking until I'm blue in the face until they really screw up. This is the show that you want to see each week on your Walking Dead universe. They are taking chances. They're killing off major characters. It's building to a story payoff. I mean, sure, we want to talk about nuclear submarines. Yeah, a little far-fetched. Sure. But we're also talking about a zombie apocalypse, folks. Can the submarine be called the Red October just for fun, please? Oh, my God, yes. We do know that there is one writer of Fear the Walking Dead that does listen to the show. Shout out to our guy, Nick. But... It's not to say it's out of the realm of thought. I'm just saying, like, it's a fun, like, it doesn't have to mean anything. Just, like, a fun little little Easter egg for fans. Like, oh, Red October. Oh, that's funny. I'd mark out if they decide to call it that. I mean, obviously, the episode's been filmed, but if, if yeah. you can somehow swing into that, I will definitely give some kudos. But like I say, this is the show you want to see if you're into the Walking Dead universe. If you got tuned out, they are building up a lot of drama here. And like I say, from the small episodes where they focus, and like I like how they do the anthologies, like I said last season, where you focus on one character. This was kind of a throwback to it with Daniel for Handle with Care because you really see how he's dealing with his disorder. And whatever the ramifications of that are going to be moving forward, we're still going to see because he is. So, this is something that we don't really see with The Walking Dead. But now when you factor in the holding episode and you see absolutely how crazy Teddy is, and like I say... This could not have been played any better. John Glover was the absolute freak character that you expect to lead a cult. Right. And he played it. And like I said, he wasn't on screen that long. Sure. But he made that ending of the episode into something. This was just a phenomenal episode. And like I say, he just looks the role oh, yeah. in this one. Yeah, no, he does. He, like, he's a good – he plays a good villain. Like like I said, he I know him primarily from being – Lionel on Smallville for so many seasons, but he was so good at being the villain bad guy in that role that there were multiple episodes I wanted to reach through my television and punch him in the face. Yes, and he's definitely playing it up that you know end-all apocalyptic cult leader to the T. And even, like I said, he's been on the screen in such a short moment, he really nailed that time home. It's something about when you're given so much time on a show, especially with a multicast, that every time you're on there, a character's really got to stand out. Teddy did that. And now to see where they're going to play out with only a couple more episodes left, this is going to end so strong. I just feel it. I'm definitely impressed with this. I cannot scream it enough. If you're giving up on The Walking Dead, give this show a shot. If you've been watching The Walking Dead, watch this show. Watch a couple episodes in a row and tell me that this is not the best Walking Dead universe show out there. 
I'm daring you to. We can definitely have that discussion. I definitely want to interact with some Fear the Walking Dead fans. I know you're out there. I know you listen. So definitely hit me up on that hashtag. Hashtag ODPHpod. What was your thoughts about the past two episodes? Handle with care and the holding. How great were they? And if you didn't like them, let's talk about that. Because we only got a couple more episodes left to the season finale. So let's go. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. My name is Nicholas Haskins, and I'd like a moment of your time to tell you about the 5th Annual Livestream for the Cure. To do that, I brought along two people whom I couldn't do this event without, Gerald Morris and Dan Brennick. Over the past four years, the Livestream for the Cure has raised over $30,000 for the Cancer Research Institute. That contribution is helping to fund research into cancer immunotherapy, training the body's immune system to fight all forms of cancer. This year, we're aiming for our biggest goal yet as we try to raise $15,000 in 50 hours on the air. Tune in May 19th through the 23rd as we're joined live by podcasters and content creators from around the world. With your help, we can continue the fight for a future immune to cancer. Together, we can make a difference. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Time to get into those one-shots, Pad. Got a couple things to talk about. First of which is something I didn't see coming at all and, frankly, a little surprised by it, but a good surprise. Uh, news came out today as we record that a film called Twilight of the Dead is being developed, and it's from George Romero's widow. Oh. Uh, so, yeah, George Romero, the famed director known for such movies as Land of the Dead, uh, Diary of the Dead, Night of the Living Dead, you know... Uh, who obviously passed away back in 2017 uh, due to lung cancer, uh, was developing this film uh, before he died. Uh, and now the uh, now his widow, Suzanne Romero, is uh, teaming up with three screenwriters. Uh, they're meeting and they're now meeting. She's now meeting with directors uh, for the project that uh, there is probably the last thing we will see from the George Romero mind, I guess you could say. Okay. Uh, she said, quote, this is the film he wanted to make. And while someone else will carry the torch as the director, it is very much a George A. Romero film. Close quote. So obviously George Romero, very celebrated, very well-known director, uh, probably most recently rose to fame for the younger generation when uh, he was featured in Call of Duty uh, Black Ops in the zombie mode where they had a George Romero was a feature for one of the maps in Call of Duty Zombies where he chased you around with the lighting rig you would see on a movie set trying to take you down and beat you. So that's where a lot of folks, especially myself, first heard of George Romero, but obviously a lot more know him for his movies and such. But the fact we're going to get another George Romero movie Sign me up. is awesome. I'm down for that, man. That's yeah. awesome news. No, awesome, great news. And then a bit of video game news that I have been waiting for, and I have been like... Are you excited about this? I am very excited about this. I have wanted to see this come to the PlayStation uh, since it kind of rose to popularity. Uh, and finally, uh, debuting on the PlayStation 5 and PlayStation 4 sometime this year, Among Us, the mega hit that you see all over Twitch, YouTube, and whatever other you know uh, video game streaming platforms you might use. Uh, is finally coming to the PlayStation. I love the hell out of this. I love watching it. I love. I know. I follow a bunch of people who play it at least once a week. It's so much fun to watch. So the fact because I know I can I can get it on my on my iPhone right now, but 
not the same. You know, I, I want to get it on my PlayStation. Uh, I cannot wait to play it. Uh, and obviously it's going to be coming with some uh, exclusive, uh, an exclusive Ratchet and Clank uh, skin that you can wear in the game. So I'm super excited for this. I cannot wait. Man, this is so up your alley. I know you've been waiting all day to talk about that. And so And I've been wanting this for like the longest time just for whatever reason. It didn't happen. And now it's finally happening. Yeah, I mean, it's been long overdue to happen. So Absolutely. It's got to come to Xbox. Uh, so. Yep. Uh, and then also some comics uh, picks this week. Uh, amazing Spider-Man issue number 65. Uh, Nick Spencer is still writing, so that's all I need to say. It's amazing. Uh, you've got Batman issue number 108 coming out this week. Uh, you've got finally, after a long hiatus, uh, Batman The Adventure continues. Oh, picking up from the animated show. And picking up from the animated show. This is uh, called Season 2. Uh, it's issue number one, and this is titled Gotham City is Changing. After Mayor Hill is killed by a mysterious assailant, Batman finds himself tracking down an ancient order that's been that's long been buried under the streets of Gotham, the Court of Owls. Let's go. You know that's my... Oh. But what does this group have to gain from the death of Mayor Hill, and how can Dead Man help the Dark Knight? That is going to be interesting with Court of Owls and Dead Man? Uh-huh. Uh, so, yeah, written oh, by... sign me up. Written by Alan Burnett and Paul Dini, the, of course, the crew behind Batman the Animated Series. Oh, the first run of issues were so good, especially when they went there and delved into the Jason Todd stuff, and which is something the cartoons never dealt with. I re- no, I, re- I realized that there was the whole movie, but that wasn't you know directly tied in with with the cartoons. This is kind of like canon. This is canon with the cartoons. They they went there. They 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 brought up Jason Todd. They introduced Jason Todd and Red Hood. So yeah, it's going to be just as good. I mean, you kind of almost have to with the history of the Bat family, and especially with the comic, they're allowed to go a lot more places than they could for. Or the animated series. Oh, yeah. Because Jason Todd, not exactly uh, kid-friendly. Yeah. By any stretch. No. Uh, also coming out, you have God of War Fallen God number three. Uh, James Bond, Agent of Spectre number three. This one has been so good and such a great read, especially, you know, me doing my Bond rewatch or first watch, I guess you could say. Uh, can't wait for that. Uh, you've also got Star Wars The High Republic Adventures, uh, issue number four, coming out from the folks over at IDW. Uh, great series. Uh, cannot recommend it enough. Also, Star Wars thing, uh, you have to find where it is. I know if you go to, I believe, IGN.com has an article about it, and then StarWars.com has an article about it. For two, uh, May the 4th only, you can p- and I'm going to recommend it anyway, but for May the 4th, you can pick up the Claudia Gray novel, uh, Star Wars The High Republic Into the Dark for 99 cents ebook. Wow. Uh, I've listened to the audiobook of it. It's a great read. Uh, it's really fun. It's not very long, you know, so it won't take you, su- if you're a slow reader, it won't take you super long to read. It's about an average size book, but it's a great read and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it definitely sounds it, man. I'm excited about this. Yeah. So I've got one shot that definitely this caught my eye because we haven't heard a lot about this show, but Green Lantern coming to HBO Max. Oh, yeah. There was a little bit of casting news announced. Uh, yes, I've accepted the role uh, as the title character. Uh, thank you very much for all of your support. Yes, yeah, so Padawan J will be leaving the ODPH to go start filming Green Lantern. No, we kid, folks. Uh, there was an announcement of Guy Gardner has been casted. Ooh. So Finn Whitrock is going to be stepping into the Guy Gardner boots. And obviously, if you know the history of the Green Lantern Corps, you definitely know Guy is a very unique uh, individual. Uh, I will say he is somebody that is a complete polar opposite of Hal Jordan. Right. Uh, very short fuse, but he is a hero through and through. 
And this is going to be something interesting to watch. So more casting is supposed to be coming out about this soon. I'm excited to hear about this because we have not heard anything no, they, about this they, show. They announced it, and that's kind of been about it. Yeah, so that's been the only thing that we know about this. So definitely excited to hopefully start hearing some more. I know Strange Adventures was paired with this. We haven't heard a peep out of that. Yeah. So very interested to see what the HBO Max universe is going to be shaping up into. But we have to talk a little bit about CW. Yeah. Now, Pat, there was some late-breaking news that you mentioned. Yeah, so as we recorded, hey, for once news broke when we recorded. Hey. Uh, it was announced by Deadline that uh, Tom Cavanaugh and Carlos Valdez are, are going to be leaving The Flash after seven seasons. Uh, so it's, uh, the article reads, uh, quote, exclusive. The Flash, which already has been renewed for season eight, is bidding farewell to two original cast members, Tom Cavanaugh and Carlos Valdez. Valdez, who plays Cisco Ramon, will end his run as a series regular after the current seventh season with an appearance in the season seven finale. Cavanaugh, who has played Eobard Thawne slash Reverse Flash, as well as the various versions of Harrison Wells, was actually slated to end his tenure as a series regular at the end of season six, I hear. He hinted about that in a February 2020 Instagram post, which didn't draw much attention at the time. Uh, but a couple of weeks later, the pandemic hit, shutting down all production and cutting short the seasons of dozens of series, including CW's The Flash. As a result, Kavanaugh quietly ended his series regular run with the episode 3 of season 7, Mother, which wrapped the outstanding season 6 storylines. But he continued on the show as a recurring guest star. His status transition was not seamless. He has not appeared since that third episode, but the DC drama's producers have assured fans that he would be back. Online listings indicate that Kavanaugh may appear in episodes 9, 10, and beyond. His final appearance this season is being kept a surprise. There are no current plans for Kavanaugh to continue on the show beyond that, but there is a possibility for both him and Valdez to do guest stints. Uh... Close quote. So my guess is if is this is the case, like I said, season eight's been done. Season eight might be the end. At this stage in the game, this is not a bad thing per se. I mean, it like, is for Tom Cavanaugh leaving because he's awesome. Well, Tom Cavanaugh is arguably the best part of The Flash on there. But he's arguably probably the best actor on all of the Arrowverse shows because he's played like 19 different people. Yeah, and all the same version of himself, but they've all been different. Like, he has been the heart and soul of The Flash. And I could understand why he would want out after this much time. And, and like I said, I'm not faulting him, but I can kind of understand this because you can only do so much with a character like him. Right, yeah. And I know we've gone through the multi-different versions of him. Harrison Wells. Yeah, and especially when you think of, like, he, you know, they could really go to the well, no pun intended, uh, with the character in the multiverse because an infinite number of versions. But now that you've kind of, like, shrunk that down to, like, nothing or one, you know, it's kind of, yeah, their hands are tied a little bit. Their hands are a little tied, but he's done so much amazing work with the character. It's like, what else is there? And I could fully understand if he wanted out that this is a perfect time to go. Because he's really brought it back full circle. Like, we, we haven't really touched upon The Flash this season because I'll admit, I haven't been really excited about it. It's okay, but it's not anything like, oh, you got to check this out. It's not like years past. And I think the one argument that I've always had about the show is you have the third best rogues gallery in all of comics behind Batman and Spider Man. What did you do with them? Yeah. And I'm sorry, if you want me to get excited about Cicada or Savitar. Come on. Like, when you came back and you had Abracadabra on a couple episodes ago and you killed him off because he was from another dimension. Sorry, a little minor spoiler if you haven't been following. 
you didn't really do anything to move the needle there or make it impactful. And Abercadaver is one of the most legendary villains of Flash. So I could understand he's paid the time with the character. He's done everything he can with it. He has been the best part of the Flash for many, many seasons. Um, you know, I'll be excited what he gets involved in next. And as for Vibe leaving the show, it's it's a tough thing when you have your team, quote-unquote, and they have the same character basically on there multiple times. Like you have Chester, who they just introduced, and you have Vibe, and they're Barry's right-hand man in the field. They're the one talking the scientific experiments and such that he needs on the field. You also loaded up the team when you had Caitlin Frost and when you had Ralph Dibney on the same team. You have too many characters on there that takes away from everybody else. Like where Arrow fell in the same problem too. Right. When they introduced his version of the Outsiders or whatever you wanted to find Team Arrow when it was extended with Wild Dog and Ragman and, and so forth. When you get away from having just a small team on there and you're adding so much in, it just basically oversaturates your product. That's what happened with Flash. So I can understand when they're leaving, but they also have people to step up in their role. Like I say, the the character of Chester can definitely take over for Vibe. And then if you're going to keep Caitlin on there, sure. Okay, that's one, two. And then if you don't have Kavanaugh on there as Harrison Wells, it's okay. You can yeah. you can go still in a different direction. But if you have something that would warrant him coming back, because I'm sure Tom Kavanaugh would come back if it made sense yeah. in a small role just to, to really sell a story, you know, like a Crisis on Infinite Earth type deal. Then it makes sense. So this news, not super shocking, but it does leave a lot of writing on the wall. I know that they're introducing some more characters this year. We're finally going to get Bart Allen. I'm yeah. super excited about yeah. seeing him finally appear in the in the Flashverse. But for these two characters, listen, they've done a lot with their stories. They've gone through many ups and downs. And maybe it is time that the Flash is starting to think about the finish line. Not you know, Like I say, if they keep going, I just want to see him get back to where they were seasons one and two where Barry Allen reminded us why he was Barry Allen, not Barry Allen and Friends and Disposable Villains of the Week. End rant. <laughs> but that being said, we want to close out this episode of the ODPH talking about Legends of Tomorrow. Now, the show came back this Sunday. I've said it once. I will say it again. It is American Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. I dare you to tell me otherwise. Yeah. But we now are going into their... Not sure. We do know they got renewed for another season, Mm -hmm. correct? So this season, we're picking up where we left off. We are going to be talking some spoilers. So we're giving you fair warning. Three, two, one. We pick up with Sarah Lance has been abducted by aliens. Folks, I said it's American Doctor Who. Just roll with it. But Katie Lotz, obviously playing the title role of, of Captain Sarah Lance, is gone from the team. The rest of the team is now investigating in London, 1977. They run into a very famous musician, Pad. Who did they run into? David freaking Bowie. Hell yeah. That was a definite cool night. It's one of the things about Legends when you're talking about our misfit team of time travelers. They can go anywhere in time, and it makes sense. You're not exactly going, okay, why am I here? But as they're investigating, Ava has now taken over the lead role on the team, and she is trying to figure out what happened at the DEO because at this point, they don't know that they have been destroyed. So currently in this moment of time in the timeline, folks, bear with me because it's weird. It's time. Reasons. It's it's reasons. The DEO has been destroyed by Ramakan. And where we're going to go from here is going to be kind of anybody's guess. But we do find out where Sarah has been abducted. And she is on a spaceship with Spartacus. Like we say, folks. Reasons. Reasons. 
So as we see that she's on a spaceship and she winds up freeing Spartacus, they decide to start investigating, and there's aliens on the ship. What does Spartacus do because he's so calm, cool, and calculating? No, he decides to try bull rushing them. And he gets impaled by tentacles of the one and then eaten. Reasons. Reasons. There's reasons. Sarah, on the other hand, is kind of laying back and trying to figure out what's going on. And she does run into one of the aliens. And lo and behold, who does it turn out to be? Uh, Gary. Bumbling assistant Gary from the DEO. Which, yet again. Reasons. Reasons. So why is he on a ship? And meanwhile, during this entire time, Constantine and company, which, by the way, Constantine is now in that romance with Kardashian Zari, if I can call her that. The, yeah, yeah. The social media. She wants to be an influencer. Yeah, she wants to be the influencer. She Obviously, they did the whole split personality thing. Once again, Pad? Reasons. Reasons. So that's going on, and Constantine winds up figuring out, okay, Gary's glasses from his room can also cover him as an alien which has never been touched upon in the entire time of the show that he's been on before. I digress. Yeah. So this is a whole new element going on. So Ava is working with him to figure out, okay, where is Sarah? They wind up sending Birad, Zari's brother, who is back on the show, uh, to go find this person who can communicate with aliens. And this is the one Spooner cruise that we've heard about. So Birad and Mick, that Mick Rory, decide to go investigate, but they wind up getting captured by her. And then they're still going this back and forth about trying to track down the aliens. Ava comes in, basically recruits her on the ship to go find out what Sarah is. They do. And meanwhile, on that ship, Sarah finds out that she was abducted on purpose by Gary, who I guess is the entire time that he's been with the legends has been on an undercover mission with his fiance slash boss, Kayla. Once again, pad reasons. So he's been on this undercover thing to take over, but he's had a change of heart because his time with the legends has now made him care about humans. So he wound up getting Sarah on there to basically find a way to get rid of his fiance and save the world. They do have this very cool action sequence where Sarah Lance is doing Sarah Lance things. Once again, Katie Lotz is being phenomenal as always on the show and winds up kicking Kayla out into the space galaxy with floating pods of aliens. Looks like a, like a scene straight out of Aliens. Yeah, this had an Aliens vibe. Dre pointed that out too. Shout out to Dre. Uh, this had a complete Alien vibes going on with this. And as it's flying through the wormhole of time, this is where the season is now getting its direction. Because you have random aliens now flying in the time stream. Once again, Pat? Reasons. Reasons. So Sarah and Gary are now stuck out in space. They have to try finding the way home because they didn't make it through the wormhole in time. So now they're going to go crash on another planet. And now the legends are basically picking up the pieces from everybody else. Uh, it is what it is with legends. You know, legends is fun. It's American Doctor Who in a nutshell. Wasn't a bad first episode. Wasn't a home run by any means. I don't understand a lot what's going on right now because they're really jumping over the place. If you've been following the show, you know Astra is no longer a magician mm-hmm. being. She is now human. There's still that weird romance going on with social media Zari, I should say that instead of Kardashian Zari. But, and John Constantine, and that's still weird because... Reasons. Yeah, because Nate still is 
in love with the former Zarya. It's just something that when you watch Legends, you have to go in with a little tempered expectations because you know it's going to be weird. It's going to be different. It's going to definitely be something you're going, huh, what is going on here? But if you're into it, you know you're hooked. And this is going to be the start of their 15-episode season. So they're going to be kind of rocking and rolling with that moving forward. So that being said, let us know what you thought about the Legends of Tomorrow premiere if you caught it. And we'll go from there with that in the conversation. So that all being said, the music you heard at the beginning of the show was Shout Out the Robots. But we have a special treat for you. Our good friend Tom Jolu has sent us over the new single off his brand new album coming out pad. Super, super excited about yeah. that. So the song Twilight Zone is going to be closing out the show this week. And I will give a little bit of a spoiler. Tom is due to be back in studio to talk about that album at the end of the month. So if you want to know more about Tom Jolu, you definitely want to stay tuned for that. And if you want to know more about his amazing album, which you can sign up for right now, head over to TomJolu.com. But, Pat, where do you go for all of this? ODPHpodcast.com. Hells yes, you do. So you go to the music section. You check out every great musician that has been so gracious with giving us the music. I get so amped up talking about this because their music is so good. So you can find out everything going on with Tom Jolu, Yard Party, Second Suitor, Floodlands, Shout at the Robots, and our good friend Brian Wolf down in Texas. Yeah. Who is coming back to the 607 to be playing at Ransom Steel Tavern? I saw that. Uh, 14th, I believe. Yes. So if you're in the 607 you want to get a good night of music out, definitely click on over to Brian Wolf's uh, social media. You can find out where he's playing because you definitely want to go see him play live. Ask him to play some Nickelback. He'll probably look at you funny and say, Ken told you. But while you're there, though, at the ODPH uh, website, you can also check out the directory, which has Friends of the Show, Organizational Link Support, and Black Lives Matter, and all the amazing pod groups we were in. And definitely the Apocalypse has added another group pad. Yeah. So we're up to three now. Cool. It's growing every day. We are taking over slowly but surely. But definitely shout out to everybody in uh, the Apocalypse. Shout out to Innered Circle. And you can find that. The blog section, which I got new parlay points coming out because I just got the new preview for Ninjak that I got to read. And then I got to see if I can talk about on air. If not, I can't. But we'll definitely be diving into that a little bit this week. That the T Public Store, which has a sale going on. So if you want to get that Parlay Club shirt. And, man, thank you to everybody who's uh, purchased one so far. The sales have been phenomenal. You can find all that and so much more at odphpodcast.com. That's all I got for this week. So for the one and only Padawan J. Uh, I got a Star Wars joke for you to close out the show. What did Yoda say when he saw himself on TV? No. HDMI. I'm your host, Ken M. Well played, Pad. Well played. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. We'll see you next time.
to the twilight zone Where it's so strange but it still feels like home